Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Listen, it's it's a joy to be able to worship with you. Um, It's an honor to open up the Word and be able to to share the word with you. And the reason why we do this is because we want to hear from the Lord. We want to hear from, we want to hear from God and his word, which means that you, you don't really need, you don't really want to hear from me. Uh, you don't want to hear my opinions or my thoughts. Uh, it's important for us to understand that as I come up here, that the attempt that I'm trying to make is to, to, give the word of God and to consider some things. And hopefully the Holy Spirit will work through the word and enter our ears, enter our minds and our hearts and start to transform us to make us more like Christ. That's, that's our hope. That's, that's why we are here. And so there may be times as, as we're going through this series or during this series, we know these truths. We know that, that Jesus, this is about Jesus. We know that he is the promised king. And there is this call throughout to repent. So there may be times that he is calling us to change. And it's not just a change in our actions, but it's a change in our minds. It's a change in our hearts. Maybe, maybe it's about things that we might be selfish about that we want for ourselves, that we need to let go and turn and follow him. And, and those are good things. And that's why we're here. So let me give you a quick review as we, as we talk about this passage this morning. That's, that's our prayer that this happens. So before we do that, let me give you a little review of what we've covered so far. And then I'm going to have Taylor come up and read our passage this morning. So throughout Jesus's ministry, so in, in the gospel of Matthew specifically, uh, we've seen various groups react to Jesus or respond to Jesus in various ways. So his disciples, for instance, hear his word, they hear his calling, and they follow him. And, and sometimes they, they struggle with with being um, with faith at times, and we've seen that with an example like like Peter getting out of the boat, right? But for the most part, though, they are following Jesus as his disciples. There's also the large crowds that gather around him, and they are seeking healing from their afflictions. And there's also the religious leaders who have harbored hostility towards him and sought to destroy him and discredit him. So in chapter 15, the Pharisees and the scribes, they confront Jesus about the disciples and their disregard for certain human traditions. And Jesus turns the tables on them by exposing their hypocrisy and how they value these traditions over the word of God. In doing so, he reveals a fundamental truth about the human condition. It's not 
external factors like dietary restrictions that make a person unclean, but rather the sin that resides in the heart. So again, that's what we're talking about. And this is what Jesus is addressing time and time again, that it's not about these actions per se, but it's the heart behind the actions. So the point is, is Jesus' ministry throughout the gospel that we're reading serves as a mirror reflecting the state of the people's hearts and emphasizing the need for inner transformation rather than mere adherence to external rules and traditions. So this morning, we're going to continue to look at this interplay, how Jesus interacts with people and how he keeps pointing towards the heart uh, the first, so there's going to be two different events that we're going to look at. The first one is an interaction that Jesus has with a Canaanite woman who is asking for help, asking for help for her daughter. The second event will be, a familiar, will be also familiar to us because it's Jesus miraculously feeding another large group. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. This one is about the feeding of the 4,000. So before we read this passage this morning, let me start with the big idea that we need to catch from this passage. And so we kind of talked about this at, uh, in our Sunday school class. Um, we, we call it, uh, the big term that we use is transformational intent, meaning that there's a reason why Matthew is putting these events in his gospel. And I would say that there's multiple reasons but one of them is that he's wanting for us uh, it, through, through God, right? Through the Holy Spirit, the author is speaking through the word and he's wanting some type of transformation in the audience from the readers and that's us today. And this is what it is. I'm, I'm calling it the main idea. But it's to be persistent in faith, be persistent in faith, and compassionate towards those in need, and watch how God will work. Be persistent in faith and compassionate towards those in need, and watch how God will work. Today we are going to see persistent faith as desperate as a desperate woman pursues Jesus for healing, and we're also going to see a compassionate Jesus call his disciples to feed a hungry crowd. So with that, Taylor, if you would come up and read the passage for us. This is Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 39. It, it is on. It's, it's not my fault. It's, it's not my fault. Go ahead, try it again. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. 
Then Jesus answered her, O great woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered. When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over, Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Great. Thank you. Heavenly Father, as we come before you with your word here before us, we pray that you would speak. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so for our first scene, we just have two this morning. Number one is a Canaanite's persistent faith. This is verses 21 through 28. So after the encounter with the Pharisees, Matthew tells us that Jesus withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. All right, so I have a map for you if you want to, oh, is that it? Focus. That's 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 on me because I apparently downloaded a terrible map of this. Can you guys see that? Okay. Uh, yeah, it's fine. She says. Okay. So down at the bottom, you can kind of see a little glob there. That's supposed to be the Sea of Galilee, and you see that line, um, that red line. It looks kind of red. Yep. Oh, look at that. There's a little arrow. Thank you, Evie. Uh, that that kind of travel. You can see where Jesus is traveling to. So he was in a uh, Jewish region, and he makes his way up to uh, cities that are located along the Mediterranean coast. And they are predominantly inhabited by non-Jewish or pagan communities. So it's kind of this question of why would Jesus go up there? Why would Jesus travel in that location and there's a few possibilities, and, and this isn't in the text, but this is uh, what I, I said in uh, my, Sunday school call, my Sunday school class. I call this endless, or reckless, that's it, reckless speculation. Um, you know, kind of think, why would he, why would he actually travel uh, to this pagan 
Gentile region. And so it's possible that Jesus chose to travel outside the boundaries of Israel to escape the growing crowds who were drawn to him. And we see that in other places in the book of Matthew, where all of a sudden all these crowds start surrounding him and he's trying to get away for various reasons. He's trying to get away, to get alone. Uh, you know, remember when he fed the 5,000, that's kind of the context in which we find that miracle take place. He was going to get away. He wanted to pray with his father and, and this huge crowd follows him. And there's also times when it seemed like Jesus was, was not about the crowds. He was trying to kind of lay low. Um, and so there's some examples, um, and I think this is gonna, we're going to read about this later in the Matthew series of Jesus healing a leper. And after he heals him, he says, hey, now let's just keep this between us. Let's, let's not share it with others. And of course it does. And, and all of a sudden the crowds come again. So this may be one of those times where Jesus is trying to get away from the crowds to kind of lay low for a little while. Um, it's also possible that he's getting away because if you remember the interactions uh, previously with the Pharisees and the scribes in chapter 15 here, this is where we're at in chapter 15. Um, he's, you know, the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes are coming and asking a question, not because the... Um, they really want to know the answer. It's not a sincere question. They're trying to trap Jesus. Previously, we know, Matthew tells us, that they're trying to destroy him. So it may be possible that, you know, as Jesus responds to the Pharisees, if you go back and read chapter 15, uh, he, he's like calling them hypocrites. He's like, he's like going after them. Um, and, and maybe he's, he's saying, you know what, it's, it's time to kind of let things simmer for a while. Um, and it's possible because it's not his time yet. We, we know what the future holds for him, right? And he knows it as he goes to Jerusalem. He knows his time is coming where he's going to be arrested and then killed. But, it, but that's not his time now. And so he's like, you know what? Let's, we better simmer, let things simmer and, and uh, take a little vacation. And so they go to this pagan or this Gentile region. And it says this in verse 22. It says, Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, there are some observations to make about this woman in this one verse. First, she's a Canaanite. And Canaanites were considered at that time unclean among the Jewish people. They were pagans. And also throughout history, the Israelites and the Canaanites weren't, they weren't happy with each other. They weren't necessarily friends. In fact, they were enemies. So if you go back to the time of the kings, specifically with King David, King David uh, made war and battled against the Canaanites. In fact, uh, before Jerusalem was Jerusalem, it was, uh, it was um, the, the people that were there were Canaanites. And David goes in and, and uh, you know, pushes them out, wipes them out, and takes Jerusalem. And that was the, the Canaanite people. And so 
uh, there's some bad blood. There's some issues with the Jewish people and the Canaanites. So this makes the woman's, the Canaanite woman's address to Jesus all the more significant. This is a Canaanite woman to a, a Jewish man. And notice how she identifies him. She says, oh Lord, son of David. So this Canaanite woman knows her history and she also knows Jesus's reputation. And I find it interesting that the Israelites who are following Jesus have a hard time figuring out who Jesus is, yet here this Canaanite woman identifies him right away. So there's something going on here. There's what that Matthew is trying to share with us, this contrast between how the people of Israel are receiving Jesus and how this Gentile Canaanite woman receives Jesus or, or pursues him. All right, another observation is that she is seeking out Jesus because her daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So could you imagine the anguish the pain, the desperation that this mother is experiencing. So I, I know um, there are commercials, and, I, and I'm not making light of this at all, but uh, the commercials that come on, um, at least on my TV, of St. Jude's Hospital. St. Jude's, you know, one of their expertises in cancer for young children and, and you see this, and, and you know, they're, they're wanting help, they're wanting money, but you see these young children with their, with their heads shaved, and you can see the sickness just in their eyes and just how they appear, and your heart breaks. And it's like, I can't imagine being a parent um, and, and having to um, help, you know, try, try to save my child's life, my young daughter's life. And, um, and so this is kind of that, um, um, that situation here with this Canaanite woman. This is a severely ill or afflict, afflicted daughter who's being oppressed by a demon. And so the, this Canaanite woman is desperate. And, and so for her to go to a, a man who is a Jew... Who, and think about this in this situation where, you know, you would be questioning yourself, how, how is he going to respond to me? Is he going to reject me? Is he going to yell at me? You know, what are the repercussions here? And so you, you start to identify here in this account of the woman's desperation because there's a lot of barriers between her and Jesus psychological barriers or emotional barriers, and, and she will have none of it. And it's, but it kind of tells you how desperate she is. So then we go to verses 23 and 24. So here she is crying out to Jesus, verse 23, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, so we need to stop right here, and we need to kind of 
unpack what is going on here. So first, first off, in, the, in verse 23, notice that he doesn't even answer her. So do you guys know what ghosted means? I, actually, as I'm bringing this up, I'm like kind of wondering if I know what ghosted means. So uh, you young people out there, you can kind of like nod your head if I got this correct. But it's kind of like that thing is, you know, you kind of text someone, hey, how's it going? And, and, and reach out to them and they just don't respond back. Is that ghosting? Uh, yes? Okay. I, I, my daughter's like, it was like a nod, but kind of. But it's, but it's this thing where you reach out to someone and they're not responding, correct? Okay, thank you. That was more an assured, I feel like she's ghosting me now. No, I'm just kidding. But, but it's this, he's not responding to her. It's like, what is going on? Um, but here's the thing, you know, like sometimes, you know, with ghosting, so I'm not, so oftentimes with me, at least, like I'm like giving excuses now because probably there's plenty of you that have texted me and I have not responded. But a lot of times it's kind of like that misunderstanding or it's this thing where I read the text like while I'm doing something. And once, once I read it and then all of a sudden get distracted, it, it goes down the list. And so now I don't get back to it, you know? And so there's, there's times that happens like, oh yeah, I forgot about that that text, and you have to go back to it. But this is not a misunderstanding. It's not like Jesus, you know, is hard of hearing. It's not like he's distracted. She is behind them, and she's crying out to such an extent where the disciples are like, um, are you going to take care of this? Uh, Jesus, you know, and it's, it's interesting here on, and how we see this. We can, we can, look at this text and think that maybe the disciples are irritated with this woman as well. And so they're saying, just get rid of her. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I think maybe when they're saying, send her away, it's like, hey, would you take care of this problem? Just, just take care of it so, so we can go on our way. And that makes a little bit more sense because notice how Jesus responds to the disciples specifically. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What? So if you look back, and, and I'm going to unpack this a little bit more, but there's something interesting going on here. And, and I want to go back to when you read through the whole gospel of Matthew, who is it that he is interacting with? Who is it that he's teaching? Now, there are certain occasions that he is um, interacting with Gentiles, those outside of Israel. But for the most part, the majority of it is to Israel. So what he is saying here, we can look back and read through and be like, you know what? He, there's something there. He, the purpose for him coming and ministering in the way that he is, it's, it's for the Israelites. It's for the lost sheep. In fact, when he sends out his disciples, and we've talked about this, I think this is in chapter 10 and, and 11, as he's, uh, he sends out his disciples and he tells them only go to the lost sheep of Israel. So there's something here, there to this. Now, today we look at that and kind of scratch our head and it's like, wait a minute, isn't, isn't Jesus in his ministry and, and the gospel, isn't it for all? Well, yeah, we, let's... 
we, we need to look at what's going on here, okay? So, first, before we get there, though, and well, I'll explain this to you, but before we do, we need to look at verse 25 because this woman is persistent, okay? So, she, it says in verse 25, she came and knelt before him. So, now it's, she's, in a sense, you can kind of envision this, her pursuing him and crying out. And now she catches up with them, and it's almost like you can kind of see this image of her kind of like stopping him and kneeling before him and saying, Lord, help me. So this, this woman is humbly coming to Jesus, and it's a simple request, right? Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And again, we see now Jesus' disregard to this woman's request. And this time he's using an analogy. And this is what he says, verse 26. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, let me just pause right here. There's a lot to unpack here. But, and we kind of talked about this in Sunday school class about wait a minute, did he just come call her a dog? Well, he doesn't he's not calling her a dog per se. He's not like, hey, listen, you're a Gentile dog. But what he's doing is he's saying, this is, this, this, what's going on here is like children and feeding children and, and not those who are not children, right? The dogs, right? So he's making a distinction here and, and we can, you know, look at this and easily get offended by how he's describing it. But notice that the woman doesn't get offended by it. She's not like, how dare you? She, she understands this analogy and what's going on here. And this is, we, we need to try to figure this out as well. So why is Jesus so reluctant to help this Canaanite woman? Why is he so focused on just Israel? And it means that we need to go back into Israel's history and understand what we describe as a covenant, uh, specifically the Abrahamic covenant that was established back in Genesis with Abraham. And so the Abrahamic covenant starts in chapter 12 of Genesis, where he reaches out to Abraham. Uh, back then, his name was Abram, and he calls Abram to follow him. And he promises these things to Abram. And throughout this journey, uh, Abram is starting to get to know who this God is. Up to the point, and this is where we're getting to, Genesis chapter 17, where God repeats this covenant, reestablishes this covenant with Abraham. And I, and I want us to read this. This is Genesis chapter 17, verse 4 says, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multiple, multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your, your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you the father of multiple, of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations. Now get this point, this part, and kings shall come from you. And we, and we know that through genealogy in chapter one of Matthew, right? 
that Jesus is part of that genealogy? That's why we, is he the son of David, right? That's why this, this Canaanite woman is calling him the son of David. There's something there in the, in the covenant. Verse seven says, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and not just you, but your offspring and after you throughout their generations, an everlasting covenant. And what's that covenant? What's that relationship? It's to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So there is a significant relationship between God and the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. And in a sense, what God is doing is marrying himself to them in a way, making a covenant, building this relationship with them. This, this I am going to be your God, you will be my people. And we're going to see this play out through the rest of the Old Testament, this relationship and how it's working. So God's overall plan for salvation, therefore, this, this is the point of it. In God's overall plan for the salvation of all people, it makes sense that he begins with his covenant people. So there's an overall plan here that we're talking about, a plan for salvation for all people, but it starts through Abraham and his people. That's where it begins in Genesis chapter 12. So it's interesting before that, Genesis 1 through 11 is, you know, creation, but then fall. And then through the rest of those chapters, it's about how bad sin is. It's continually going about, oh man, you think sin is bad? Well, it's even worse. It's not just getting kicked out of Eden, but it's a, it's a, a brother murdering his, his brother. Um, it's to such an extent that that God has to wipe out the whole entire world. It's, I mean, that's how bad it's getting. And so by the time it gets to chapter 12, then all of a sudden there's a turn and it's like, here is where uh, we're, we're gonna start to see a plan for salvation from sin. And it starts through Abraham and his covenant. So yes, right now when Jesus comes to earth and begins his ministry in, in human form, yes, he is going first to the Israelites. He only has so much time and he's starting there. But here's the wonderful thing. Through that, we see hints in his ministry. We see hints where he begins to reach out and, and minister to the Gentiles at well, as well. And it's not, it does not come to fruition it doesn't um, expand out to the Gentiles until the book of Acts, until the book of Acts. So Jesus' ministry specifically starts, he starts planting seeds within his people, the Israelites, but then it's gonna explode out to all nations. So let me give you an example of this. If you, if you think of uh, Paul's ministry, and his writings to the Romans. He says this in Romans chapter one, verse 16. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, 
everyone. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek or the Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for, to, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So when Paul says to the Jew first and also to the Greek, I believe he means that quite literally. Because if you go and, and go back to the book of Acts and read about Paul's ministry, whenever he travels to a new city, he first goes to the synagogue. He goes to the synagogue where the Israelite people uh, gather together and he starts preaching the gospel. And whether they receive it or not, a lot of times they reject it. He says, okay, now I'm going to the Gentiles. He even calls himself the apostle to the Gentiles. And, and what's interesting here is that there's, um, even though he goes to the Gentiles and now salvation is for the Gentiles, we need to re remember the, um, the unique relationship that the Israelites have with, with the Father. There's, there's history there. And Paul brings this up as well. Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises to them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, out of that, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So there, there's this unique relationship between God and the people of Israel that we need to acknowledge and respect. And we see that here, that as Jesus goes first to the Israelites. So Jesus' ministry at this time is focused on the lost sheep of Israel because it was they who God made this everlasting covenant with. Now we also know this though. So now I'm going to fast forward a little bit. This is, this is, um, is kind of like big uh, the theological concepts here, understanding we're, we're taking like this 1,000 foot view of what's all going on here. And it's, and it's kind of getting pulled out in this one interaction with this Canaanite woman. So we're going to stay up here for a minute, okay? Can everybody keep following with me for a minute? All right. So we also understand this, and I, I think this is really important, that as we continue through the book of Matthew, we're going to see that the people of Israel reject the message that Jesus is giving to such an extent that he's in Jerusalem and the crowds, these are different crowds probably. There might be some of these people that are in these crowds that we're talking about now that are in this crowd in Jerusalem. So it's, it's not the same crowd necessarily, but it's still the people of Israel and it's the leadership, the uh, Pharisees and the scribes that are all there that are yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Pontius Pilate says, what do you want me to do with the one that's declared the king of the Jews, that calls himself the king of the Jews? Right? And they say, we have no king. You know, Caesar's our king. Crucify him. So we will later see that Jesus becomes a stumbling block, the scriptures say, to the Jews. And then what happens? It is through that 
that the message comes out to the Gentiles. So there is a parable that Jesus gives about this, and we're going to see it in the future. We're going to talk about it um, because it's in Matthew chapter 22. I'm just going to describe this, but it's this uh, king who has a wedding feast. Uh, A daughter, I think, is getting married, Um, and so he sends out invitations to all the people, all the friends and family, sends out invitations, and and, um, and those, in, they kind of get ghosted. Maybe that's the term, right? Like nobody responds. In fact, they get tired of the servants that are sending out the invita- invitations and they like kill the servants or beat up the servants. So, I mean, this isn't just ghosting, but it's like there's some animosity here going on. And so the banquet hall is empty. The king is angry about this. And he says, fine. Go out and go out to everyone that you can find, anyone, and bring them in, invite them in, and, and the place gets filled. And so there's, this, there's, there's something that's going on here with, with uh, Jesus do, or God the Father doing a work through the people of Israel and God being their God and wanting and inviting them in and them rejecting him. And before we start picking on the Israelites, remember that that is just an example of the human heart. When we see this in Israel, we shouldn't look back and go, all those Israelites, you continually reject the word of God. You continually turn to idols and all these other things. No, 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 no. That is just a representation of the human heart. And so we have to put ourselves in the same boat that we have hearts that are sinful, that we would rather uh, us be our own gods than God be our God. And so that's what's taking place here. But of course, in chapter 15, it is not time to, to bring in the Gentiles. Jesus is focused on the lost, lost sheep. So again, Jesus rejects the Canaanite woman's request But look how the woman responds, okay? This is uh, verses 26 and 27. So he says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This is an analogy of, hey, I'm here just for the Israelites, the children of God. Look at how she responds. Yes, Lord. So she agrees with them. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Now, I don't know about you, but this almost seems to me like one of those mic drops. Boom. It's like, uh, you know, where people, I, I don't know, where like those rap battles or whatever, and then like the people that are crowded around, you know, when they hear like a good dig or whatever, they're like, oh! This is one of those times. It's like, whoa, what kind of response is this? Like she, and here's the thing. You see that she is persistent. She is not backing down. And the, and the interesting thing is she's not disagreeing with him either. She's agreeing with him. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs, right? She's aligning herself as, as an example of, of the dog, right? One who is outside of Israel. Even us outside can g- grab the scraps. And I think this solution, and I don't know, there is something going on with this Canaanite woman because it almost seems like she knows more than what she's supposed to. 
So this is kind of where I'm wondering. So first, she calls him Lord, son of David, and, and she knows her place in all of this. She knows her Old Testament, it seems like. Because in the Old Testament, I want to read this because this is part of the covenant as well. This is chapter uh, Genesis 18, verse 17. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. All the nations shall be blessed. So not only will he bless Abraham and his people, but it actually overflows to all people, including the Gentiles, including this Canaanite woman. And she's bringing it up to Jesus at that time. Even I know that there is a blessing that's going to come. So the woman responds, she responds humbly, yet with persistent faith, right? So there's a humbleness there. There's a way in which she is lowering herself, lowering herself kneeling before him and accepting her place that, yes, I'm, I'm just a Gentile. I'm not one of, one of God's chosen people of Israel, but yet I know that you are to bless all nations and all people. How does Jesus respond? But with this persistent faith, Jesus is amazed and he sees her great faith. Verse 28 says, Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Wow. This is, Jesus sees this woman's great faith. She is persistent. She, she is not ruthless, but boy, I mean, she's, she's not stopping. She's not um, uh, walking away or giving up. And it's kind of interesting, the contrast here. So if you look back, if you think back to uh, the disciples and compare uh, the interaction that Peter has with Jesus when Jesus is walking on the water, remember they're in a boat, Jesus is walking on the water and, and they kind of start freaking out. Is this a ghost? And Jesus is like, no, don't be afraid. It's me. And Peter says that crazy saying, well, if it's you, tell me to get out and, and walk on water, come towards you. And Jesus says, go for it. And Peter gets out of the boat. He starts walking. And then all of a sudden the storm, you know, the winds come and he sees the winds and the waves. And all of a sudden he starts to sink. Jesus pulls him out of the water. Remember what Jesus says to him? Oh, if you have little faith, little faith, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? So here's Peter, one of the 12 apostles, one who is following Jesus and seeing all these miracles, listen, uh, sitting under Jesus's teaching, right? Boom, little faith. Here's this Canaanite woman great faith. And you see it in her persistence, continually coming after Jesus and saying, have mercy on me. There's an example of this in the Old Testament of, um, it's Jacob, right? So uh, there's this interaction where um, Jacob uh, is not very nice to his brother. He deceives his brother Esau 
And uh, Esau is so angry. It's like, if I ever find you, I'm going to kill you. Well, this causes Jacob to, I'm, I'll see you later, right? Well, eventually what happens, years later, he starts heading back home, and, he, and Esau hears about it, and Jacob finds out, oh, wait a minute, Esau knows where, I, there's a confrontation taking place, and Jacob is scared out of his mind. And so there's this, this uh, interaction where it's this angel or this, uh, this angel that comes as a man who's, who's God, and Jacob wrestles with him. It says they get into this wrestling match, and they are going at it to such an extent. The man's like, uh, can you let me go now? He's like in a bare, naked, what is it called? A bare, naked chokehold kind of thing going on. Can, can you let me go? And Jacob's like, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Right? And then finally, I think, uh, the, you know, he does one of these uh, kung fu moves where he, he hits the, the um, hip bone. He, he grabs Jacob's hip and it, you know, takes, you know, does something to him where, you know, they finally, finally lets go. But the angel of God blesses Jacob. And he says, you know what, because of this, you are no longer called Jacob, you are called Israel. You know what the word Israel means? Russells with God. Russells with God. And so it's kind of interesting. I think that there's something there where here's this woman that is not part of Israel, but she's got faith, kind of like Jacob or Israel. That's the kind of faith that Israel's supposed to have. This kind of faith that is persistent and that is pursuing Jesus. So there's something here that Matthew's doing. He's, he's speaking to us and saying, you know what? This is the kind of faith that we are to have as well. All right, so the question is this. Is this the way that we approach Jesus? Is this the way that we approach Jesus with our troubles, with our afflictions, with our understanding of us as sinners needing salvation? Do we have a persistent faith? Or are we more kind of like, I don't know, maybe Peter? I mean, yes, he has faith, but it's little faith. Where, where we tend to sink? Or is it that, that we're just rejecting him all outright and saying, you know what? I don't, I don't need this. I can do this on my own. So where are you at today? Is, there, is this the way that we approach him? All right, that's scene number one. Scene number two, and this, we're gonna go through this one a little bit quicker. In the second scene, Jesus heads back to the Sea of Galilee. So he was up there by the Mediterranean. Now he's heading back to the Sea of Galilee. And again, the crowds gather. And at this time, I'm not gonna put this up, Evie, because, um, because we're uh, running a little short on time. But again, the crowds come, and it says that Jesus has compassion on them. He has compassion on them. They're bringing their sick, the afflicted, and he's healing them. And this is wild. Um, and it, and it, he, G, um, Matthew spells this out for us, that it's those who are mute, those who are crippled, those who are lame, those who are blind, that Jesus takes them all, and he heals them all. 
to such, in such a way where the people are amazed. They're in awe. There's this sense of wonder. What is going on here? And they glorify God for it. They're saying, wait a minute, there is something here. That God is in this man, working through this man to su in such a way where we need to give glory to God. Okay, so, so there's, there's something here that's, that's taking place within the crowd. There's some potential here that, that maybe, maybe they will hear the gospel of Jesus and come to him. So there's hope. So there's a sense of wonder. So this is what is, is transpiring. And then all of a sudden with this crowd, and this is what's pretty amazing as well too, is that this crowd, it says, was with Jesus in this desolate place for three days. So there may be also maybe a picture here of desperation, right? Kind of like this Canaanite woman where they're like, we need to get to Jesus. He's in this desolate place, but we don't care. We need healing. And so they're there. Jesus has compassion on the crowd. And so we, we, we've seen this scene before. He goes to his disciples. He's like, I have compassion on them. I don't want to send them away hungry because they might, they might not make it home. And how do the disciples respond? Isn't, isn't it interesting? Here's uh, the Canaanite woman. Here are the crowds coming after, desperate for Jesus, a persistent faith in Jesus. How do the disciples respond? Um, we only got seven loaves of bread and a few fish, right? That's, that's their response. Now, if you go back, you're like, wait a minute. Didn't, didn't this happen before? Yeah, we went through the feeding of the 5,000. This was a different crowd. Jesus goes to his disciples and says, I have compassion for them. They go, we don't have enough food. He's like, no, no, you feed them. Uh, we, we only have this much. No, 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 bring it here. Bring it here. Bring it to me. What you have, what you have to offer, you think is insufficient, well, then bring it to me. They bring it to him. They start passing it around. And all of a sudden, 5,000 men, and so there, it's more than that because there's women and children with them, are, are satisfied, right? So the disciples have experienced this before. All of a sudden, here they come to the same kind of situation. Jesus says, you feed them, and they're kind of like, well, we only have this much. And I can, I can just imagine this. I don't know if Jesus would have done this. Bring it here. Bring it to me. That's what you did last time and you saw me work. Bring it to me. I think God is trying to give us a message here because I think we can often be like the disciples and have amnesia, right? That we can forget how God has been faithful in the past, uh, how he's been faithful in the Old Testament to the Jews, how he's been faithful to to, uh, in his ministry here in the Gospels throughout the New Testament, but also how he's been faithful to us in our lives. So let me give you an example of this. Um, uh, a few months ago, we had this windstorm, and um, my, my son parks his car perfectly in, in my yard, by the way. This isn't like in the driveway. This is in my yard, but he, he parks it 
in the exact location where this large branch breaks off of the tree and crushes my son's car. And, and I tell people, if he would have just parked five feet forward or five feet back, it would have been fine. No, no, no. Right up over the car onto the roof and, and crushes it, right? And so I'm looking out, and I mean, it's this huge branch. It's ginormous. And I look at it, and I'm like, oh, like my, my heart sinks, and, and my mind starts to race. What are we going to do? How are, how are we going to have enough vehicles? How, how are, this, and I'm thinking of the loss. I'm like, oh, we, that was such a good car. And I'm just, and, and I'm starting to get anxiety. And I, I, don't, I don't know what we're going to do. And then finally, um, there, there's this point. Oh, and of course, then I'm like, I'm shaking, like calling the insurance company. Because I'm like, oh, I can't remember if we have full coverage on this thing or not, right? Like all these things are going through my mind. And, and finally, there is a point where God says, why are you fretting over this? Has there ever been a time when you have not been taken care of? Like take a step back for a minute. Um, are, do you have a home? Yes. Is there ever a time that you have to live in a tent? No. Is there ever a time that your cupboards are not full? No. Is there ever a time when you are stuck and you have to hitchhike? No. Right? It, it, have I always provided for you? Yes. Okay, do you think I can get you through this one? <sighs> yes. So I was Peter sinking, wallowing in my own fears and anxiety. And, and finally, God says, get, get up, get out of there. I think sometimes we need those reminders, don't we? How faithful God provides for us. And so this is the same thing, I think, that's going on here. Disciples kind of have amnesia, and all of a sudden, Jesus, bring me, you know what to do. Bring me the food. I'll take care of it. Bring me your problems. Bring me your afflictions. And be persistent in it. Come after me with it. Because I'm faithful and I will provide. I am faithful and I will provide. So, here's our response. What are we to do with this? Oh, and here, by the way, I mean, what, ha what happens? Let's just finish the story. What happens? Jesus blesses the food gives it to the disciples. The disciples disperse it out to the people. And guess what? People were fed and satisfied. And so here's, here's some, uh, some questions or some ways that we can engage with the Lord about these things. Number one is, is there a struggle or circumstance or sin in your life where right now you need to persistently pursue the Lord about? Is there something right now, whether it's a struggle or it's sin that you're struggling with, where you, you, you're trying to work on it yourself, you're worrying about it and struggling over it and, and trying to fix the situation? Is there something where you need to repent, and what I mean by that, turn away from that way of thinking and pursue God, pursue Jesus with? And here's number two, because we need to put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples. 
and say that there is ways that God has gifted you, has made you, and there's a way in which you can minister to others. So there's a way in which we need God to minister to us, but there's also a way in which we can minister to others. So what, what God has given you, is there a way that you can give it to others? Not in a way, because it could be overwhelming, right? We're like, I'm just this. I'm not sufficient enough. What I have isn't good enough. I don't know. In the same way, take those gifts, pursue Jesus, give it to him, and watch him work. That's what I think Matthew is trying to communicate here, right? It's not worrying about these things ourselves and trying to use our gifts ourselves. It's to take these things and pursue Jesus with it. And so, are there circumstances? Are there struggles? Are there sins that we need to persistently pursue Jesus with? And in the same way, are there giftings? Are there ways that we can serve others by first going to Jesus and giving, giving these things to him and watching him work? And with that, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. Thank you, Lord, that we can come together and walk through the, the scriptures. Lord, there's a way in which you, I think in all of us, in our hearts, you're calling us to repent, to turn away from ways in which we are trying to fix our own problems, that we are trying to make ourselves better in your eyes. And what you're calling us to is to come to you. Lord, there's, there's something in that where um, it's humbling. So Lord, may we come to you humbly, but with great faith so that we may watch you work. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.